Hello and welcome to The Check-In, where we get together each weekday for community connection and conversation over the airwaves. It's Friday and on Fridays we look for inspiration and meaning behind everything going on in our world right now. Here to help us do this today on this Friday is KBIA producer and storyteller extraordinaire, Tikia Thomas. How are you doing, TK? I'm here, Janet. I'm here. All right. I hear you. So if you've been looking at the news right now, you could be forgiven for thinking that you've maybe entered another dimension. Things can seem very surreal, so much so that Tikia and I have been discussing apocalyptic storytelling and how it can bring attention to the experiences of the marginalized and help us empathize and imagine other people's experiences and even help us imagine or even predict a different future. Octavia yes. Butler does this, yes, so does yes. Margaret Margaret Atwood and many others. And, and Takia, you, you have some thoughts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Janet. Look, science fiction and speculative fiction, is, they've, they've tackled enormous ideas over the decades. And really at its core, it's these kinds of stories, these kinds of stories force us to look at the state of things in this world. It invites reflection. How exactly did we get here? Mm. And as you mentioned, these stories oftentimes seem to predict or prophesize what is yet to come. Like for example, and this is probably a little bit of a spoiler, but in Octavia Butler's novel, <laughs> Parable of the Talents, which is the sequel to Parable of the Sower, Butler describes a presidential candidate with alarming ideals and the campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. And the novel was published in 1998. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know, separate from the sci-fi world, and, and maybe it's really just more of an extension of it, Octavia's work is a part of a huge canon of black writers, inventors, scientists, artists, musicians that all fit under the umbrella of Afrofuturism. Afrofuturism. So helping Takia and me explore all of this today, we have two amazing guests. So Professor Ronaldo Anderson is chair of the Humanities Department at Harris Joe University in St. Louis. He's the founder of the Black Speculative Arts Movement and a leading voice and editor on, on topics of Afrofuturism in art and Black futurity. An online exhibit he's put together, I think it goes online today, hey. is curating the end of the world and it's mentioned in today's New York Times. It's really cool. Uh, welcome, Professor Ronaldo Anderson. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Yes, and we're also joined by Professor Sherry Marie Harrison. Professor Harrison is an English professor at MU who specializes in literature of the African diaspora, as well as women's literature and modern and contemporary literature. Thank you for joining us, Professor Harrison. Thank you so much for having me. And Professor Harrison, why don't we start with a question for you? So a really general question, you know, when it comes to apocalyptic storytelling, um, what comes to mind for you and how can it help us? What comes to mind immediately for me is the last collection that I read, um, Walida Imarisha's edited collection, Octavia's Brood, hey. which is very much in, um, in, in, I guess, you know, the genealogy of Octavia Butler-inspired um, text. Um, I feel like there is a lot of conversation about how this particular kind of science fiction work, this kind of speculative work, um, helps to imagine a future that is completely different, that is really disruptive of some of the things that we can't imagine right now. But I think what really captures my imagination in science fiction right now are the ways that they are being used to 
or it's being used to, to, to represent the present, like some of these really bizarre things that are happening in our contemporary landscape right mm-hmm. now that, 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 that actually they, they feel like science fiction. Like at the top of the show, Takia mentioning the, um, the, the slogan for the presidential campaign that is like, you know, right out of sci-fi, but here we are in this future that this present that is, is very much sci-fi in, in, in a lot of ways. So. Very cool. Uh, we, let's ask a question of, uh, of Professor Anderson as well. Um, you know, when it comes to all of this, we, we've been throwing the word, um, you know, Afrofuturism around, Dr. Anderson. Can you help us right away with a just a definition? Okay. Um, well, on a couple, a lot of our work that we've done the last several years, um, there was an earlier definition in the 90s around what the work of Mark Gary, what they used to do. And then some of the work that was done by um, more recently in her uh, book, Natasha uh, Womack's book. Mm-hmm. But right now, you could just, in, a, in one sentence, just say uh, black speculative thought that deals with the past, present, and future, or suggesting a harbinger of things to come. And, uh, and I'll leave it at that without getting into longer-winded definitions okay. to keep it plain. So. Um, yeah. And one of the things, okay. No, keep Go going, on. keep going. Okay. No, I was thinking about what you said when they said apocalyptic visions today. Mm. Uh, well, the word apocalypse, I think, means to reveal. And one of the things I did for um, a recent interview with, in Ber- uh, with some uh, artists in Berlin last week was I think the way Afrofuturism is talked about or being done is going to be, okay, what was it looking like before the breakout of COVID-19? Mm-hmm. And then what is going to, how it's going to be done after COVID-19? Because there are a lot of people that are uh, involved in it, had a certain way of doing it, depending on which tradition they were trained in. Because um, when we put out uh, uh, the special call in Topia last year, which is the Canadian Journal of Cultural Studies, where we describe the emerging field, which you could call Afrofuturist study, a young field. Um, we're, it's still a young field right now. Mm-hmm. And so to me, a lot of the best people working in the field are the younger people now, because a lot of the older people or some of the older people that are involved in it now, they've really started addressing it just the last few years. Mm-hmm. And they were several years doing something else before they kind of found something they liked related to it. But now the, 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 what's fun about it is now you have graduate students doing their thesis and dissertations on the topic the last three and four years, mm-hmm. which is going to have a big impact over the field over the next several years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, can you, can you list any favorite examples? This question goes for both of you. Can you list any of uh, some recent or not of your favorite examples that fit under the umbrella of Afrofuturism? You, you mentioned uh, uh, younger folks who are kind of stepping in um, and kind of picking up this mantle. What, what are some, some, way, some ways you've seen that take shape? Oh, uh... Well, I know to me, one of the top young scholars out there, and she calls herself a digital science. If you look at the work of Natrice Gaskins, how she and, and some of the work that's going to happen uh, down the line with dig, digital humanities. Natrice Gaskins has a book coming out with MIT. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's a, and because it's a trans, it's a, well, as we define it as a pan-African phenomenon now, it's a global African phenomenon now. Mm-hmm. 
you uh, a book that's coming out, an anthology by Dr. Natasha A. Kelly in Germany will be out in a few weeks, and it's called The Comet. And, it, and that's a title from uh, a short story by W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, that will be out in a few weeks, and it has a lot of good uh, selections of work. And that that'll probably that's probably the best scholarly piece that'll be out this year, until the second half of the year. Dr. Dr. Kelly's anthology, The Comet, um, and of course uh, there's the new and emerging thing now, uh, where I, I had written about it a couple years ago. This I, a, a kind of a, a, a tributary or a break off or just a maturing perspective of what we're seeing now with African futurism as is defined by Nettie Okorafor mm -hmm. based upon um, African philosophy and stories directly from the continent because uh, that, that, yeah. um, that is going to be showing up in uh, productions from Netflix or Hulu mm -hmm. and um, there are some developmental projects now in the works in Hollywood now to address the, the topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have to be on the lookout for that. I hope we can um, list uh, some of the, some of these books and some of these uh, upcoming shows and things that you've mentioned so far. Um, but oh, just yeah. but just to like piggyback off of what you're saying, I that's like that's like what I really love about Afrofuturism. It's not always so much about the future future as it is about folks being innovative or resourceful. I think Afrofuturism is really just a way, you know, to define black people's way of, of finding information and resources in different places, whether that be through the science, through the art, through magic, or seeking guidance from our ancestors. You were talking about just African philosophy and how that really fits into this idea of Afrofuturism. Professor Harrison, your work has a major focus on Caribbean literature. Have you seen instances of this show up? In many yeah, ways. I mean, in, 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 in a lot of ways, of course, Caribbean mm -hmm. writers have been, and, and writers from Latin America as well, have been writing in, in speculative genres like sci-fi mm -hmm. um, through things like magical realism from, you know, the beginning of, of these kinds of discourses being considered by, by Western discourses as well. And so um, I think what's really fascinating about some of this work, too, are the ways that it tries to help us to make sense of not just a kind of local or national context, but a way in which a lot of what we are experiencing right now are transnational mm -hmm. um, experiences, are things that are happening in a lot of different places. So like, I'm from Jamaica originally, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I, I sort of pay attention to media outside of the US and especially in the Caribbean and the ways that um, the, the social and civil upheaval that's happening right now is also happening in other places and not just places that have predominantly um, African populations, but the way in which the discourses, the way in which thinking about black life across the mm -hmm. globe right now is being um, consumed through protest has everything to yeah. do with art forms today, music forms today. If you remember a couple of years ago when Childish Gambino put out um, This Is America, for example, mm -hmm. and just the flood of um, the flood of videos like This Is Sao Paulo, This, right. is, um, this is Kenya, This Is Nigeria, This Is Kingston. Um, there are ways that these... Um, these, these 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 discourses run a longer and larger gamut that 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 resonate in in in, in a lot of ways and i think i think mm -hmm. sci-fi i think afrofuturism now too in the way that it is imagining a trans 
national uh, pan-African scope for thinking about some of these things um, is, 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 is producing really interesting work across the yes. diaspora yes. In, in, in not just literary arts, but visual mm -hmm. arts and music, TV shows. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, lots yeah. of really cool stuff happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. And to bring it back to bring it back to Octavia, you know, while we're talking about, you know, futuristic works and Octavia has definitely created some Afro super futuristic works, but to focus more on Parable of the Sower, that novel is is more so pretty pretty close to home, you know. That story starts in the year 2024 when the protagonist Lauren Olamina is only 15 years old. And the society that she lives in is definitely feeling a lot of the effects that we're discussing today as you mentioned, the effects of climate change, wealth, social inequality and a lack of trust in those who claim a authority, i.e. the police. The novel really highlights a lot of the issues that are fueling the, the outcries, the protests, the demonstrations that we're seeing today. This question still also goes to both of you. What is it about uh, apocalyptic storytelling, this futuristic, Afro-futuristic storytelling that specifically can help us get through times like we are witnessing today? Well, it forces us to imagine something new, yeah. right? Um, one of the things that's happening right now are, are calls to defund the police or abolish the police. And one of the things that this kind of work does is it allows us to imagine spaces where something like that happens. What happens if you abolish the police? Mm -hmm. like what happens if you defund the police? It's, it's at its simplest, it's, it's, it's the capacity to have thought experiments, to go beyond what is what we think are the limits of our reality and, and imagine the ways that those actually aren't limits after all. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that's also emerging, I know with a lot of the work with the Black Speculative Arts Movement now, I was teasing one of my friends. Um, I know she's a fan of Nalo Hopkins' work, uh, like her book Midnight Robber and some of the other works. Uh, I told her, I was like, uh, under the Trump administration, it's like we're embracing our inner maroon, you know, where uh, and you've always had these two tensions in diaspora and thought those people uh, who don't want to be bothered with white folks and want to build their own thing. Mm -hmm. And those who are going to try and struggle and come to grips with them. Like when I think of Akon, the rapper trying to build Akon City out in Senegal yeah. uh, last, yeah. last year. Last year, the biggest movement in the world was the Back to Africa movement that went on last year where a million people from the diaspora returned back to Africa, as Forbes magazine reported. And, you know, and so those twin forces are influencing what people are thinking about in the work in terms of what they're envisioning, you know, based upon you're going to have those who want to uh, break away and those that will probably try to stay in some form or fashion. And so that's why there uh, are what I would call those who embrace the Martin Delaney speculative tradition, who really is kind of almost the great, great grandfather of this stuff that when he wrote his book, The Hut, back in the middle of the 19th century. Mm. And those who have other, you know, traditions that they're interested in. And increasingly, uh, and I had said during a talk in uh, Johannesburg in the fall of 2018, I'm really interested in seeing what uh, some of the Africans are going to do with the concept, because I told them because they kind of nominally control their own countries, they could take this and, and use it with military application, 
when I think of, for instance, if you take um, the story, and I don't know why, I just met him last year in person. He, uh, the guy that wrote the story, Jess Grew. Um, mm-hmm. Can anyone fill in who wrote Jess Grew for me real quick? <laughs> I'll uh, Google it. <laughs> okay, while you're talking. And then I said, you know, and Jess Grew, what if you take this novel, Jess Grew, this concept of Jess Grew, and you make it a computer virus that looks for uh, white supremacists online mm. and destroys their hardware, mm. you know, and it's called the Jess Grew computer virus. You know, so that's why yeah. we were talking about, what's that? No, I'm just, I'm with it. <laughs> and so that's what I'm saying. So that's, so that's kind of the direction where a lot of people, uh, you know, you could say uh, there'll be some people who are applied Afrofuturists, you know, because now think about it. Uh, one of the things we talk about, a lot of these things start out as visions, and then, because, and then they become reality when the technology emerges to develop the vision. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Going back to the early 19, 20th century when H.G. Wells wrote, you know, he's the science fiction writer. Mm. He writes that he thought Booker T. Washington was sharper than W.E.B. Du Bois because, you know, and so for the politics at the time. And I, and I bring this up because most people don't realize that some of the most well-known science fiction or speculative writers were also sophisticated political theorists. Like H.G. Mm-hmm. Wells, I believe, was a Fabian socialist. So what you're going to see maturing more and more, and I know what's going on with the Black State of Arts movement, you're seeing this kind of merger between Afrofuturism, interest in socialism, mm-hmm. or some people that are out there interested in anarchism, or some people that are into uh, accelerationism mm-hmm. from the left or the right. And so you're seeing these hi- the interesting hybrids emerging around some of these concepts, how they're layering just in the last 18 months. Wow. Yeah. Well, let, let's take a moment here really quick. By the way, um, Dr. Anderson, I think I looked up, is uh, the Jess Grew story in the novel Mumbo Jumbo. There you go, Mumbo if, Jumbo. Okay, that's a, from 1972, uh, Ishmael Reed. Ishmael Reed. Man, I uh, met him. He was so grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let, let's take a moment and just remind listeners that you, this is the check-in. Um, you've got Takia Thomas and me talking with um, some fantastic guests today, Professor Sherry Marie Harrison and uh, Professor Ronaldo Anderson, and we're talking about the art of Afrofuturism. Yes, yes, and I mean, I see that we're we're getting. I mean, ah, I knew that this thirty minutes was going to go by super quickly, <laughs> yes. um, but just really quickly, I can't, I can't let this conversation end without also bringing it back to Octavia and and specifically just just thinking about how um, just just all all of all of the things that 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 we as in black culture that we've always used to get us through things whether that be our stories our humor our music but especially our faith and that's the part that really gets me about the the protagonist in Parable of the Sower Lauren Olamina that in response to everything that was going on around her, the wreckage and the death and the fire and the fear. Lauren is over here giving birth to a new faith system that gets her through the storm. So I really want to know, uh, for those of us here who, who are familiar uh, with Parable of the Sower, what were your first thoughts reading the verses of Earthseed? And that goes to everyone. Uh, mm. Professor Harrison, do you want to talk about that? 
You mentioned that you um, found that that novel a little almost too close it, to home. <laughs> too too yeah. true. I feel that. I know. I yeah. I I thought you know, I I'm I'm thinking about it through our present moment now. Like yesterday I saw a image on online, you know, the many images that we 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 we're, we're, you know, we we are consuming these days of um protests i believe it was in brooklyn where um protesters made a square around um people who were muslim while they did their their prayers and there is something really fascinating about the way in which this moment of of, of upheaval of crisis is also forging and i say forging with the full implication of fire here forging communities of common belief and faith in humanity together that um mm. that resonates with 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 the protagonist of that novel and 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 the way in which crisis brings about a feeling of establishing a collectivity that can hold people together that can help them through crisis that mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. pull up commonalities that actually aren't destroyed by these moments um and so it's 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 the way that 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 kind of community can continue to be preserved like it's the way that that kind of community should be should be promoted and mm -hmm. and amplified um beyond moments like this right mm -hmm. all right beautifully said uh, professor uh, harrison let's we are getting a lot of calls in let's go if you all don't mind take a little moment here and bring a caller or two into the discussion brian thanks for checking in with us did you have a question or comment yeah, Janet, it's Brian Lewis from a ways back. Oh, but, hi, uh, Brian. Hey, how you doing? I couldn't Good. believe you're doing this. I was just, I, I, I just have been rereading Seven Eves, which is a mm -hmm. great Neil Stevenson apocalyptic story, which mm -hmm. goes all kinds of crazy places. It's not Afrofuturism, but it's very good, and I recommend it. Okay, seven eaves for your isolation reading and apocalyptic storytelling. Thanks so much for calling in, Brian. We appreciate that. Um, I'll get a no a, problem, Dr. Anderson or uh, Dr. Harrison. Do you have any comments? Uh, or to oh yeah. From that? Oh yeah. And excuse if you hear any of the music in the background. I just got from the funeral. I'm sitting in a Red Lobster. Um, okay. Over here in Kansas City, where, where I saw it draw upon it is something that touched me today. Uh, driving through the pandemic with my mask here to, into Kansas City for mm -hmm. a friend's funeral. His mother uh, was born in 1920 and pa passed away a couple weeks ago, 100 years, born at the end of the Spanish flu pandemic mm -hmm. and passes away at the beginning of this one. And in his eulogy, it was entitled The Spirit of Quindare. And Quindare is a special place here where it's passed in the middle of the 19th century. It was a place where uh, formerly enslaved Africans connected with members of the Wyandotte tribe and white abolitionists to launch resistance movements. And when I'm hearing this eulogy about Margaret Hutchinson, I'm thinking the same day I hear the eulogy, because she represents the passing away of an age, those people, she's the last generation that remembers the formerly, as young little kids, remembers the former enslaved African-Americans mm -hmm. as little kids. 
And then when you're talking about today, also, today we started curating the end of the world when we're talking about the end, end of an age. Yeah. That's online. Because one of our pieces that's online in this uh, exhibition is an AI-created piece mm-hmm. that I was like, wow, I mean, I want to get more into AI now. Wow. And so, <laughs> you know, so Margaret's, and it's like the exhibition couldn't be announced until her 100 years of history had been acknowledged. And that's why mm. I'm feeling, okay, so, and it talks about how that spirit of the past informs the spirit of the future. Wow. And so, yeah. and so kind of what we're doing in this second wave of Afrofuturism with the Black Speculative Arts Movement is how do we draw the best of our past to create something new mm. for ourselves? Because we know out of the last pandemic, when W.B. Du Bois wrote Dark Water, talking about the souls of white folk, and he's writing this at the, he starts writing this at the end of World War One, writing it through the Spanish flu, writing it through the red summer of 1919, and he publishes it in 1920. And the young people on the other side of that, a few years later, start the Harlem Renaissance. Mm. They start the uh, early roots of African liberation movement, the negritude movement. So we know something new is going to come out on the other side of this. And that's why when when I was protesting out at Ferguson last Friday night, and I'm looking at the protest, basically I'm like, okay, the destiny of this country for the next several years is going to probably be decided the next 90 days on the streets. And so that's where the connection between speculative fiction, the historic moment of now, and the passing away of other things in this specific moment of time, I can see happening with my work and some of the people that are in my circle that are doing this work. All right. You know, Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for mentioning the life that you're there celebrating and also this aspect of time. Yes. Past and future and time travel is just such an emotionally resonant way to kind of explore the time that we're in. Um, you know, we've got so many callers. Um, I want to get, we, I think Takia and I want to get some very last words from Dr. Yes, but let's just let a couple of callers, if we can, in here for a second. Frankie calling from Columbia. Can you give us about 10 seconds what your thoughts are? <laughs> um, yes. Um, I just wanted to say how much Octavia's work has really been changeable in my life and how it's opened me up to um, a whole realm of black, speculative, Afrofuturistic, radical, um, queer people who are doing amazing work envisioning um, the future, including Adrienne Marie Brown that um, Professor Harrison mentioned, wrote um, or co-edited Octavia's Brood, which is life-changing and breathtaking. Um, and it connected back to a quote from Adrian Marie Brown, Professor Anderson, mentioning the definition of apocalypse being this unveiling. Um, and so she wrote um, that things are not getting worse, but that they're getting uncovered and that we must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. Um, so she's been really resonant with me this week in particular. Yes. Wow. Uh, Frankie, that was very eloquently put. Thank you so much for the call. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have time to go to any of our other callers. But let me just say, would you all please call us again? (laughs) We'll be here every day checking in. We want to keep these conversations going. And yes, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Harrison, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank well, you. Thank you for having me. Yes, please take care. Yes, yes. Well, as Janet said, it is time to wrap up today. This has been a great conversation. Uh, again, a huge thank you to Dr. Anderson and thank you to Dr. Harrison for joining us today. Today we will go out with a track by Chicago-based poet and musician Jamila Woods. Last year she released an album titled Legacy Legacy, and it's dope, y'all. Every track is named for and inspired by an artist or writer who inspired Woods. This track, of course, is titled Octavia. Over to you, Janet. That's awesome, and uh, thank you so much, TK. That's it for today's check-in. Again, thanks to Professor Sherry Marie Harrison and Ronaldo Anderson for joining us today. Check out Curating the End of the World. You can just Google it. It goes online today. It's mentioned in the New York Times as things to do, and that's from Professor Anderson. This episode was produced by the wonderful Takia Thomas. Thanks, TK, always for your brilliant ideas and your voice. The check-in's produced by Christopher Husted and me with KBIA News Director Ryan Famuliner, Zia Kelly, Hannah France. Um, we also... Uh, would love to hear from you. Go to kbia.org to just know how to check in with us every day at noon. We also have a phone line you can call. Uh, have a good weekend. Please stay safe and stay in touch. to be